way here for a minute for Facebook to push this out to everyone and then we'll start. Waiting for Facebook to push it out is kind of like waiting for everybody to come in, <laughs> for everyone to come in and take their seats. Hey Rita, you're always here. I always enjoy you seeing here with us, been with us. Being with us. There's Linda. Hi, Linda. <laughs> you and Rita are always the first two. Good morning. Welcome to our home. Okay, we've got seven watching, so we will start. Uh, again, welcome to our home. Uh, we enjoy teaching the living word here and the fellowship that we have. Uh, by way of Facebook and people follow us on YouTube also so hi Dennis God, glad you're here uh, I, I know Katie's on so I want to say hi to Katie she's a new follower of the ministry and she's been uh, receiving quite a bit from us and reading the books and then yesterday Don and I was privileged to have uh, some guests in our home Paul and Randy they moved from Oregon to Texas and uh, they were up here for her birthday for Randy's birthday and they came and visited with us and it was just like I'm having a church conference it was uh, it was awesome just to be able to share on the word and what we know so it's it's wonderful to gather together but uh, this is a great way to meet everybody so again we're glad we're here I'm continuing our teaching on uh, Paul's system of truth but what we're doing is we are removing the veil that was placed on Paul's system of truth Paul's system of truth is what Jesus taught him and out in the desert when he went out into the desert the Bible says he was apprehended by Jesus Christ and that really it means he was apprehended by what Jesus taught him and so we know that translations and additions to the word and things like that kind of covered up the real meaning behind what Jesus sought to teach and also what Paul sought to teach and so we're looking at this and uh, we want to understand uh, exactly what Jesus sought to teach his world and then what Paul taught and what Father is really opening us up to today. And I believe we anyone can understand if they desire to. Brother Garner, one of my previous pastors that's passed on, he always said, you know, that until you come to the end of what you believe and find out it's not working for you, you won't be willing to receive more truth. And I believe a lot of people in the world have come to the end of that. Hi, Ann and Carl. So one of the first pillars of truth that was used in uh, Paul's system of truth, Brother Garner taught it, uh, Leon Stump taught it, I'm sure many other people did. My first 38 years of my in church, I never really heard anybody teach Paul's system of truth. Uh, I didn't really hear anybody teach what was called a penal substitution. They just taught it but they never talked about it and gave it that title or whatever. But the first pillar was what is man? And we used to say, and I believe it was part of the covering up with it, that man is a spirit, uh, has a soul and a body, and we were taught that we are a three-part being. But that's not true, because we are one with Father and the Lord our God is one. Father is not a three-part being, Father is one, but Father's life manifests himself you know, as Jesus, as Paul, as you, or anybody else, that's how Father manifests, and Father is spirit. So man is, I, I wrote down originally was, but it's, it's still the same thing. 
man is an idea in Father's divine mind. Father imaged man out. Father saw everything that he wanted man to be, and Father imaged that in his mind. And man is the essence of being, if you would, and the head of Father's entire creation. Uh, we are awesome beings. We are fearfully, the Bible says we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made, and that word fearfully is reverentially. You know, when Father made us, Father loved us. It's like when we, my wife and I came together and, and uh, birthed a child or created a child with inside of her, it was a reverential thing to us, and we could not wait to see our first daughter, and then our, our son, and then our second daughter. And when we held them, it was, it was a special thing. It wasn't like just some other possession. Nothing that we own was like our children. Nothing that we own is like our grandchildren. We reverence them in a sense. And that's how Father feels about us. So Father's imaged us in likeness of Father to replete Father in bodies. And so I always tell people, a woman, every time you give birth to a child, you're giving birth to God. You're giving birth to Father in a body. So the ideal man is the perfect man in constant contact with Father. When we're not in contact, a constant contact with Father, who is our source, our chi, our essence, whatever you want to call it, then we're not living as, that, as the ideal that Father has for us. We live far below that. And that's what happened to man. Man, uh, again, was Father's idea. Man had dominion over the earth. Man was supernatural. In other words, they were other than just physical. They functioned out of their holy breath. And then when they began to listen to teachers of the knowledge of good and evil, they identified with that. And then they saw themselves as naked and they lived far less than the ideal of who they really were. They did not lose anything. They just lost their awareness. And so we are the offspring of the divine mind and we had the divine mind. So mankind can live as that perfect ideal. You know, a lot of people say, well, we're just human. You know, we'll never know who we really are or live out of who we are until we go to heaven someday. And that's just not true whatsoever. We can live out of who we are. And some people wonder why we keep teaching these things. Why don't we just do it? Well, my answer to that is because there's a lot of undoing that needs to take place. The brain is a very powerful organ and it, it, it holds memories from your childhood. And, you know, we have, Paul said, why do I, when I would do good, I do evil. And he said, because there's sin in our, my members. In other words, there's Mark missing in my members. And there's also law in my members. And so we have to hear a lot of truth to remove all that. And we are. But we have to be willing to hear. Some people, uh, they, they, they want it all right now. They, they, they just want somebody to be able to lay hands on them and free them of everything that's hindering them. And it just doesn't happen that way. It comes by feeding. And we'll talk about what we feed on in a minute. So when mankind is identified with anything less than eternal perfection, they manifest some varying degrees of imperfection. And that's what happened to us. And that's what I'm going to talk, going to talk about today uh, somewhat is when Paul talked about the, the imperfections that people had that disqualified them to be a priest. Not just to be a priest, but to be a priest that can serve the bread and wine or offer it to Father. <clears throat> so what we believe becomes our reality. As a man believes in his conscious awareness, so is his realization. And it becomes their reality. <clears throat> and our belief systems have been so skewed that our view of ourselves is imperfect. You know, And 
uh, as I was talking to Randy and Paul, and Randy brought this up a lot too, when you hear the truth and you know the truth and you understand the eternal love of God, then you see with loving eyes. And you see yourself, not just the world, but you see yourself with loving eyes. And you will not see other people beautiful until you see yourself beautiful. Because we, we have this flaw that came from religiosity that sometimes we just we want to always put ourselves up a little bit better than everybody else. And you've seen that when people judge people and they, they, they see themselves, they think that they're perfect when the very fact that they're judging people shows that they're not perfectly aligned with the divine love of Father in their understanding. And so man, <clears throat> who is man? What is man? Man makes his world through activity of ideas. That's how we make our world in our conscious awareness. Uh, ideas of wisdom, ideas of power, ideas of intelligence. When I mean our world, I'm talking about the world that I live in, the place that I live and move and I have my being. So if my ideas are skewed with religious, religiosity, then it's skewed and it gets messed up and it, there, it, there's, there's varying forms of, of false imperfection because we are perfect, but we're not necessarily living with that conscious awareness that we are. So the real man is the embodiment of father. That's who the real man is. When people say, who am I? I have people all the time want me to tell them who they are, what their purpose is in the earth and all that. Well, you're the embodiment of father. And one of the first ways to figure out who you are is learn who father is. Very few people know who father is because they've always been taught about Jesus, but they've never been taught about father very well. And that's what Jesus tried to do. He tried to show us the father. He said, I don't say anything. Pretty much he was saying, I don't say anything. I don't hear the Father say. I don't do anything. I don't see the Father do. So the great way to know who the Father was was to follow Jesus and to listen to Jesus and then to listen to Paul, what he really said instead of what they translated they said, and Paul too, So, <clears throat> or Jesus too. So what we want to do is realize that there is a divine substance in us, which is Father, and that divine substance is more powerful than anything that man could ever come up with. And when we realize that, it makes it active and it's inerrant within every person's divine mind. The power within us to know all things, the power within us to do all things. I can do all things through contact with Father, not through Christ that strengthens me, not through Jesus that strengthens me, but I can do all things through contact with father a constant contact and those things would be what the logos what the word says we can do so we are quickened uh, to spiritual understanding and fully realize the true character of father and we true we fully realize our nature as the image of the idea of father when we do that we begin to live as jesus did and so that we will see all people as the likeness of father it changes our vision there's a verse I've quoted quite often, and I can't tell you the address right now, but my people perish for lack of vision. And I've been told in the past that means your church is not doing well because you don't have a vision, vision for the future. But that's not what it's talking about. It's vision. You, you're not living with your single eye. You're not seeing things the way Father sees. And when that happens, the word perish literally means we just live a life of non-existence. And so when our vision is corrected, which it's being corrected, then we see all people as lovely, we see all people as beautiful, and we see beauty everywhere we go. And I was telling uh, Randy yesterday, I've done that most of my life. 
I see beauty in everything. And sometimes I wear Donna out by saying, look at that, look at that, look at this, you know, because it's absolutely beautiful. So when we, when we perceive the true character and the true attributes of Father and ourself, so when you see Father, you should see yourself, right? You should, because that's who you are. You are the image of Father. <clears throat> and you should realize that you have the same attributes, the same nature, and the same character as Father, and the same ability as a Father, because whatever Father created, then we create that ourselves. We don't create anything that Father didn't create. And so Father's power is our power. Father's character is our character. Father's mind is our mind. Father's heart, which would be individual awareness, should be our individual awareness. What Father thinks about people is what we should think about people. And what Father thinks about us should be what we think about Father, ourselves. So man has existed with Father always. That's one thing. So who is man? You know, what is man? Man has existed with Father always. We've always been in Father before Father projected us out into visibility. So <clears throat> mankind is not limited, and that's important to understand. We have no limitations. So many people today are being dumbed down by our government, been dumbed down by our, our, our religious systems, our political systems, our educational systems, and they feel like they're limited, and they're, and they're becoming victims, if you would. And they think everybody owes them something, and all the stuff that we see in the news today and what's taking place, but we are not victims. We, nobody owes us anything. We are not limited. We have everything that we need already. And whatever is required for today, will be here, whatever is required for tomorrow, will be here. We have to get that mindset and that, that awareness. And the problem is, is people want to see it before they believe it. But the truth is you've got to believe it. The truth is you have to believe it and then you'll see it. You've got to believe what Father said. And that's one of my mandates and a goal in my life and what Father's put on me is to help people to learn what to believe. And when you believe, then again, you see. So man is holy breath. Man is a holy thing. Man is the sum total of the perfect idea of Father. We are a human what? Being. We are being mankind. I don't like to use the word human very much, but that's what people understand. Also, man is a reproducing, a reproducing holy breath, a reproducing soul, or a life-giving spirit, sometimes people say. And we also are one as the plural of Father in our body. One as the plural of Father. And as Father created man male and female to reproduce Father in human form. And that's what, where it said, let us make man in our image. When you translate it out, it actually says Father made man male and female to reproduce Father. And so that's why I can say every time you give birth to child, you're giving birth to Father in, in visibility. So the Apostle Paul's whole thought, thought uh, revolves oneness. Uh, I was talking, we were talking to somebody and they were telling us how there's this whole new sect out there, a new, almost a religion today, they, they call themselves oneness, and they're trying to say that everything that happens to you is Father, because everything is one with God. So they said, if a stinging scorpion stung you, that would be Father stinging you. If a mountain fell on top of you, that would be Father falling down on top of you. And it's just, to me, it's ridiculous. I am one with perfection. I am one 
with a father that would do nothing to harm me whatsoever, with a father that does not need to put anything on me to grow me up or to cause me to learn. Father doesn't do that. That's what man whose breath is in his nostrils teaches, whose understanding only comes from the sense realm. They're always trying to come up with something better and greater to get people to follow them, and they, yet they have not even understood or heard the gospel yet that Jesus tried to teach. So, in Romans 1.9, <clears throat> uh, Paul wrote this, For Father is my witness, whom I serve out of my holy breath. And for those of you who are new here, the word spirit means breath. It's holy breath. So whom I serve out of my holy breath in the good news brought by Jesus. Well, if you read the good news the way the translators taught it, or the way that a lot of preachers taught it, it's really bad news. It's not good news because they teach it uh, with penal substitution. And they teach that if you don't get saved, if you don't do this or whatever, you're damned to hell. If you don't line up, and you can never line up because there's always another rule that's placed in there for you to follow. But he said he did this without ceasing. He said, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers or in my conversation, because that what, that's what prayer means. Everything Paul did that would fall under the guise of service to Father came out of who he was as the greatest of all master comforter messengers, and that's Jesus. Paul talked about that and how Jesus served the fathers. Jesus served the people. Jesus offered us the true bread and wine. I'll never forget when Brother Garner told us years ago, he said, the way to figure out whether you want to follow somebody's teaching is what they have in their hands. And if they don't have bread and wine in their hands, run from them. But a lot of people have a false conception of what bread and wine is, and we're going to talk about what it is today. <clears throat> so our breath is our mind of contact. Our breath is our divine mind. Our breath is our, if you want to call it spirit, it's spirit. When we, we breathe in spirit, we breathe out spirit into the world. We breathe in understanding, and we breathe out understanding into the world. So our breath is our mind of contact, and it's the same holy breath that Jesus rose himself out of the grave with. Jesus did that. You know, people want to say, well, God did that up there somewhere else. No, Jesus did that because God was in him. The power to resurrect yourself was in him. If you believe, if, you know, somebody asked me about that where it said Jesus, uh, the savior of all, especially those who believe. Well, that means you experience it if you believe it. But literally, whatever situation you have found yourself in, whatever situation you have placed yourself in that is not comfortable and it's traducing and hindering you, you have the power within you to resurrect yourself out of that. Am I saying we don't depend on Father? No, I'm saying we depend on the Father within us, not the Father out there a million light years away. If we could pray enough prayers or get enough people to pray or scream and holler enough, we can get him to do something. That's a lie. That's religion. And, but the truth is, within you, you have that same divine mind, you have the same power that Jesus did, that you can resurrect yourself out of every situation there is. And the truth is, what you do is you change your awareness you allow Father to change your awareness, and your awareness is no grave can hurl this body down. No hindrance can come against me. And that's how Jesus did that. That's how Jesus lived out of who he was. And he seemingly did what we would call supernatural things, but he just functioned other than physical. And that's where we want to get to. I, that's my desire is that my thought process 
is other than physical. When I look into this world, I see a spiritual world. I see energy, if you would. I don't. I can't say I see that all the time, but I've had many times where I see a glow around people. I see energy around people. I feel the energy of people, and I feel energy leaving my body. And that is, that's our essence. So there's only one spirit, or one holy breath. There's only one mind. There's only one body. As Father is, so are we. We are of our Father. We are not a three-part being, and Father is not a three-part being. Father is not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father is all that, one. Father is all one. Father, Father is Son because Father is Son in me. Father experiences. Father knows all my experiences. Father knows what it's like for us to live in these bodies. And Father knows that many of us are living far below what we should be, but he's always got comforter messengers on the scene if people would come to them and listen that can help bring them up. So how do we commune with our Father? <clears throat> well, we do so by focusing our single eye and ear on listening and hearing Father's voice moment by moment. I think I've over-explained that, but it's like, how can you commune with me? You listen to me, you talk to me, we fellowship with one another, we converse back and forth. Uh, Paul and Randy yesterday, we sat here for probably three hours. We had uh, early breakfast with them and we talked and we communed and we connected and now we have a strong connection. I just immediately thought we're gonna be best friends with these people. If we would have never done that, then there would not have been that connection. I had talked to, to Paul when they were in Oregon and had a conversation probably a year ago and we hadn't talked much since then, so there wasn't that connection that created a real relationship, even though we knew we were one. But when we got together and we had this contact, it made a big difference in our life. So that's how we commune. We listen, we talk, that's, we can talk to, you know, and we can listen to Father talk to us. I have many times where Father leads me to something, and then I ask the question, and then Father leads me another place in Scripture or whatever, and the answer comes. Or I just wait and listen. Next thing you know, I hear somebody teach the answer. Exactly. Or even Donna will say something to me. Or I'll have a dream. Or somebody. Huh? Or you read something and there's your answer. And so we have a list. We must have a listening ear. And we, we, uh, we excuse me, we must possess our listening ear. And we must possess our seeing eye. And so Father's voice is something that speaks moment by moment. Father never quits speaking. We constantly seek, we constantly ascertain, we constantly desire to know Father intimately as holy breath and hear truth. I need to correct something here. Okay. The problem is, is most of our life we were taught to seek Father for something, right? For something. We felt that we had needs, we, we created a world, our world, as less than who we really were. And we created a world that we were always needing something and striving to get something. Our jobs were always to get money. We went to school to get more worldly education. Whatever we did was to get something, not knowing that we already had it. And so we were never really taught to seek Father for relationship, for, for oneness, because in a sense, and we probably wouldn't admit it, but we didn't feel like we were worthy to be one with Father because things that we had done in our life that we were told was sin. But Paul said, everything I do comes right out of my holy breath, right out of my spirit. That's what Paul said. So he did the same thing. 
So let's go to First Thessalonians 5.23, if you want to. I've translated it so it's not going to line up with your King James Version. But it says, And the very holy breath of perfection sanctify you holy. And I looked at the word sanctified, and it's the same thing as consecrate or, or anoint. It means show you something, reveal something to you. So the breath of Father is the divine mind. So what's the divine mind for? To show you something, to reveal something to you. Uh, we have computers today that are connected to super hard drives and super uh, uh, supernatural, in a sense, uh, knowledge that you can tap into anytime you want to. And that computer is to show me something. When I'm sitting there studying, one of my greatest tools I use is Google. And I can't remember where a scripture is. I can't remember the words. And I'll just type, where does it say in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. And boom, it just pops up instantly. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And so the very breath of God shows us something. And it shows you that you are holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. I mean, you are the point aimed at. You are what Father imaged man to be. You are that right now. That's the greatest greatest revelation, one of the greatest revelations besides I'm one with Father, Father eternally loves me, but for me to be able to go to somebody and say, when you were born, you were born whole. You were born whole, you were born the image of Father, and you lacked nothing. You never had to go get saved to be Father's child. So it says, you are complete in every part of the whole, which is, we, we, we are a, our whole being is spirit, soul, and body as one. Not separate things, but one. So you are whole, you're complete in every part of your body. This is what Paul's saying. And you are preserved with no fault into you, unto your uh, awareness and your realization and your experience of your oneness. There's no fault in you. And if you know that, then you can experience all that. And then it says, in and as a son, our daughter, and father, in perfect contact. So we do have contact. We, we, we can't say, well, I can't hear God. Well, you can hear God, but you're just not paying attention to the contact that you have. That would be like that light bulb over there saying, I can't shine, I can't shine. And I would look at it, you have to shine because you're plugged into electricity, the electricity is on, the switch is on, your filament is not damaged, you can shine. And that's what we have to tell people. We have to correct their understanding of who they are. You're perfect, not imperfect. And I'm leading up to these imperfections that Moses thought the priest had that they couldn't serve Father because it wasn't true. That was his per uh, perception. So Father is holy breath, and there's only one holy breath. Father created a corporate, numerous-membered man, which is unlimited. There's no gender implied in that word man. And so therefore, we, we, including Jesus, Paul, John, and everyone born of a woman, have eternally and always are one with Father God. So we are not, as religi religiously taught us for many years, a three-part being. We have a spirit, or we are spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. That's, that's not true. We are one, and you've got to get that down. So again, what is our divine mind? Our divine mind is our essence. Our divine mind is our chi. The Asian uh, people use chi, uh, the, the ancient basically, but a lot of the ancients today. Uh, we, uh, divine mind is our life force. The divine mind is our source, and Jesus called it Father. And so that's why we use the word Father, but there is no gender in there. 
So Jesus was not the source, contrary to what people think. Still today, people think Jesus is the source. They pray to Jesus, they ask Jesus to do something for them, and then they, they can't wait for Jesus to come back and do some other things that they want him to do. Jesus was not the source, but Jesus had the source. Jesus was in union with the source. So the difference in Jesus and mankind is Jesus intimately knew his source. To his world he called the source father again and he stayed in contact with the source so so should we always so many people possess this wrong understanding of who Jesus was and what he came to do that they seek Jesus I know I already said that but the Bible says father is holy breath and they that worship him or ascertain and seek and desire to know him should do so in holy breath and truth so if that's true, we need to be seeking to know Father more. And it's okay to seek and understand what Jesus did, right? And I love Jesus for what Jesus did. But he came that we would seek the Father. So let's read Hebrews 4.12 and see how important it is for us to do this. Hebrews 4.12. This is my translation. Actively... That doesn't mean every once in a while. Actively seeking and hearing the voice, which is the living word of Father, is active and operative. In other words, when you seek the voice, it's operative. It functions. It works. And it's done in a position of rest. And there was our problem. We weren't at rest with Father. We were, in a sense, fearful with Father. We didn't feel like we were worthy. But in a position of rest is more vital is more vital than any religious controversy or strife. Hearing Father's voice reaches through our entire being of the human consciousness and aligns one's most secret and inner thoughts and tendencies and intents of one's individual awareness to the divine mind. See, that's what we want. We want this alignment to take place where our thoughts and our, you know, the most secret inner thoughts that we have will be aligned to the divine mind for truth. And that would be our right brain, correct? That's case teaching. And then it reveals that which is sensory awareness, which is our left brain. It reveals that and corrects it, if you would. So what we're having when we bring our, when we put our brain on the, on our, we experience that beheading in the book of Revelation, if you would. Uh, Brother Garner said we put our, head on the word of God and allow Father chop away everything that's not true of us. So in a sense, that's what's happening. There is an alignment and it corrects all the wrong thoughts on the left brain and we move over into this right brain, which is the brain of beauty, the brain that's in tune with spirit and the two become one. And that's what needs to become one. We used to think that we needed to become one with Father because we were not one with Father. But it's our thought processes become one and aligned with the divine mind. So when we look at the old Outlook books, because there's no such thing as word as testament in the Bible at all. It's the old Outlook and perception. And then there's the new Outlook and perception. So we look at the old Outlook and perception priests, we realize that we are not priests with that old awareness that Moses had. A lot of what Moses wrote was from his perception. We've already concluded that. 
a lot of what Moses wrote came from mythological and paganistic beliefs that he brought over with him from Egypt and also during their journey the people continued to go up and worship false gods and we can see that in scripture so we know that we are called to be comforter messengers a priest is somebody that, that serves people and how you serve father is you serve people you know people say what can I do to serve father serve people bless people you know be who father made you to be but so we are priests who can see clearly now you know as I posted a old writing of mine today but the dark rainless clouds have gone away a rain uh, clouds represent uh, uh, ministry if you would preachers or whatever but rain represents teaching and so there's a lot of clouds that looked really nice but there was no rain in them we see that all the time like uh, sometimes when there's a drought and you see all these clouds and but there's it's pretty but there's no rain it's not doing anything to help us and so there's all kinds of ministry that's been so beautiful and so bright they had their big beautiful churches but there was no real rain coming out of them and so we know that we're comforter messengers and a comforter, a comforter messenger brings great truth to the masses that's what Jesus did he was a master he mastered being a comforter messenger he mastered his dominionship over the earth and over his earth and so we're to bring these to the masses who will listen not everybody will listen and that's to me one of the saddest things is my brethren my friends so many people that I love they won't listen and so I just offer the bread to whoever will. But we can bring these great truths. So the old outlook and perception priests were of the order of Levi. And under the influence of Moses' false percepts of their father, because Moses was their leader, they called him father, they called Abraham even Father Abraham. So literally Abraham kind of became their leader. And Abraham had no awareness either. And he didn't listen to Father. Eventually, I believe they did. But in the long run and in the writings, we don't see that. So we who are awakened are of the order of Melchizedek, who was a comforter messenger. Mm -hmm. That's who Melchizedek was. We, we used to say it was Jesus, but it was his only comforter messenger that spoke to him, to, to Abraham. So the priesthood offering nothing but bread and wine of the living word with no mixture. That's who, that is what a priest really is. Everybody should be a priest everybody should be a priest to the world but if you're not offering the bread and wine without mixture then it's not helping people so first of all i want to talk about what bread symbolizes and what wine symbolizes bread symbolizes universal substance the substance of omnipresence in the body in the person the substance of father in constant contact with a divine mind so our moment-by-moment -moment contact with the substance of the words of truth is appropriated by conversation with Father. Does that make sense, Donna? Mm -hmm. it's that's how you appropriate it, is with conversation. Like yesterday, Randy and Paul had some understanding, and I, I appropriated what they had by conversation, and they appropriated what I had by conversation. That's why I love to talk to people. That's why I love to... To, uh, on Messenger, I like to do video calls, and I shock people a lot, but, but I want to talk face-to-face. -face. I want to have a face-to-face -face relationship. That's the most intimate. Just been on the phone hearing, you know, that you can have all kinds of misunderstandings because you don't see each other's face. And so this substance 
is the substance of the word of truth and it's appropriate for the conversation and then you meditate on what you intelligently heard. Sometimes people will quote pray to Father and they think they heard something and they didn't. If, if I heard some kind of direction that was going to change my life, change where I maybe be living or whatever, I think I would go meditate for a while and make sure that I really heard that. I would sit and let Father talk to me some more. I would probably say, now, Father, this is what you said to me. And this I, is what you said. This is what I heard you say to me. You know, or this is what I, and if you're really listening, you'll hear a voice say, no, I didn't say that. And that's why I say the word obey means listen with intelligence. And I always add, repeat what you heard. I have a friend. Doesn't that come with maturity? Because I remember a time when you felt like something. Yes. God wanted us to move somewhere and you didn't really meditate. Are you implying that I wasn't mature back then? Well, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> You're right. A lot of people think they hear God, but they're not mature enough to really meditate on it and to right. find out. They're, sure. hearing, they're hearing the voice of what they want to hear. What they want. Yeah. So we, what we've done is we filter Father's voice through what we want. And our voice can sound like Father because Father speaks through our thoughts and it sounds like us. Right. Right? right. So if our, if our thoughts are carnal thoughts and carnal desires, we think Father's saying, because I've heard hundreds if not thousands of people tell me what Father said to them and I knew Father didn't say that. Mm -hmm. One of our friends uh, somebody prophesied that he was going to move overseas and, and go somewhere. And, and he didn't tell him when. He just said it was going to happen. Well, the guy packed his bag, sold his house, and left. And none of, none of what he thought was going to happen happened because he didn't meditate on what was said to him. He didn't listen, uh, converse with Father and say, if, is this really what you said or, or is this the time or whatever? And so that's important for us to converse with Father then meditate on what we intelligently heard. And that would save us a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. So breaking of the bread. Breaking of the bread is the stirring into action and consciousness of the inner source, with, which is our true supply. When we make bread, I, I don't do a lot of it now, but I love homemade bread. But what we do is we break it, right, into pieces that we can eat. I don't just take the whole loaf and stuff it in my mouth. Sometimes people try to take the whole word and stuff it in people's mouths and it chokes them. And But breaking of the bread stir, takes it and stirs it into action and consciousness or of the inner source, which is our true supply, and the consecrating, uh, a concentrating of our individual awareness on the divine mind becomes our real possession then. And so our divine mind is our bread, if you would. What is bread is sustenance, right? Bread brings life to people, unless you eat too much of it. <laughs> but, the, and, and what's interesting in Acts 2.42, when they were talking about this, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teachings and fellowship in breaking bread and the conversations. It said prayer, but in conversations. So they broke bread together, and in a sense, the apostles, when they taught, was the breaking the bread, and the people continued in the teaching and they continued in the fellowship from the breaking of the bread and the conversation. And that's Acts 2, 42. So the bread of heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, is the descent, if you would, into man's consciousness of ideas 
of Father, and they're manifested as manna. And manna is what we feed on, and manna refreshes one's entire being. So the Bible says, when you look at the word heaven, it says the abode of God. Who is the abode of God? We are. We are the dwelling place. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not true, I would not have told you so. And so we are the dwelling place. And so this bread within us, it descends into our consciousness and it refreshes our entire being when we're eating on true bread. What did Jesus said in, in John 4, 32? He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. You know, some people say, well, they, they gave him food before he got there. Yeah, I've heard all kinds of stuff. But his meat was his divine mind. His meat was the bread of heaven. And he constantly was staying in contact. And, that, and you don't understand my source. My source is Father. So the bread of life is the living word of truth that release, that release our inward vitality of the whole person. We, you know, and most of you know, if you listen to me, my body's going through some things and it causes me a lot of weakness and tiredness all the time. But when I'm studying the word, there's a vitality that, that energizes me. And when I'm teaching, there's a vitality that energizes me. And that's that living bread that flows through us. And so, again, it, it releases that vitality to the whole person. And speaking of Mephibosheth, who was physically crippled by the person that was supposed to be taking care of him, which he, she dropped him, which represents teachers of religiosity, he was supposed to be taken care of. David said, you shall eat bread at my table continually. You know who David rep what David represents? Love. David represents love. And who is Father? Love. Father is love. And Father's love said you exist. The word shell is exist. You exist to feed of my bread continually. You exist to live out of your divine mind. That's what you're here for. Mm, that's good. Isn't that real good? Mm -hmm. I love the story of Mephibosheth. Mm -hmm. And he fits what we're going to go to because he was perceived crippled and he saw himself as wretched. He saw himself as unworthy to sit at David's table. Mm. When David, he was one of uh, Jonathan's sons, and nobody was less that David could bless because everybody was di had died, and he wanted to bless one of Saul's relatives, and he heard about Mephibosheth, and he was hiding in Lodabar. I think it was Lodabar. And uh, it, when he came, he was afraid. He thought Saul, uh, David was coming to kill him. But David commanded all of his servants to set him at the table covering with a cloth. You remember the clothing that Father tried to cover people with? And, and when they left the garden experience, the, it said he, he clothed them with coats of skin. He was clothing them with their awareness. He constantly tried to clothe them with their awareness. Paul always said, put on, take off, right? Like clothing. So he covered him with clothing and he said, you can eat it, my, serve him bread forever. And that's what we're supposed to do, is serve people the bread and the wine of the gospel. And that story is in 2 Samuel 9, 7, if you've never read it. I'm sure what most of you have. 2 Samuel 9, 7, the story of Mephibosheth. So first we need to react. Why do I exist? What am I for? To eat bread, to live out of your divine mind. If you will make contact by faith with your divine mind, because you already have it anyways, you will never again ask, what is my purpose of life? What am I supposed to do here? Because if you feed out your divine mind, you receive divine instruction. You hear this is the way walk you in it. Right. You hear how to 
to free yourself of everything that hinders you. Sickness, disease, poverty, everything that we think we lack, you literally learn how to free yourself of that. So once we realize the realness of what we possess, we have fully attained our inner substance then. And we testify to the gladness with which is appropriated in our consciousness. I can tell you, when I really entered into the knowledge of being the house of the Lord, I was glad. I was happy. I was joyful. It was a great day for me. <clears throat> so what happens is all outward desire and pleasures give way to this inner light of our holy breath. And it becomes like a, it's a brilliant rays of light that's shed abroad in all my daily living. Everywhere I go, it's a bright, bright day. Remember that song? I can see clearly now. And it's not going to be a bright, bright day. It is a bright, bright day. Because Father's light is shining no matter how it looks with the physical eyes. And so in Acts 2.46, I like this because I looked these up and it said, They heard the living word, which means they took the food with gladness and singleness of an individual awareness. That's what it says. Gladness and singleness, they took the food. And so it's important for us, really, once we hear this truth, we're glad to take it. I, I have people write me all the time, I'm so happy I found these teachings. I'm so happy I found what you and Kay are teaching or you know some other people are teaching that it's, it causes them to live with joy and happiness through their life because they're hearing the truth. Yeah. So can be at rest. Huh? They can be at rest. In the you can be at rest. It brings you to rest. Mm -hmm. So there was a piece of furniture in the holy place of Israel's temples called Table of Showbread. And in the old books, it's spelled S-H-E-W, shoebread, but I put showbread. <clears throat> on this table was bread and wine for the priests to dine on the seventh day. They, they placed it there but on the seventh day, they were to dine on it. And that's a really spiritual picture to us because seven is a number for completion, perfection, and divine intervention in man's awareness. We used to think it was be when we would become complete and where we, we're, we're going to be made perfect now. No, I'm already complete. You're already complete. You're already perfect. But, the, but what we need is this divine intervention in our awareness. And this divine intervention in our awareness is Father's equipping comforter message in the earth and Father's causing people to wake up and hear and they can hear the voice of Father and they can hear the voice of messengers and they're hearing the truth. And so I, I looked this up a long time ago, but the word show, uh, showbread is panim, P-A-N-I-Y-M. It's the Old Testament 6440. It's pronounced panim. And it means the plural of a noun. What's a noun, Donna? A person, place, or thing. A person, place, or thing. So literally, in the same Hebrew word used when Hosea, Hosea wrote, we exist as the face of Father. It says we shall live in his sight in the translation. But the word shall is exist, and the word sight is a plural of a noun. And Father would be a noun, person, place, or thing. So we exist as the plural of Father. Isn't that awesome? And there are 20 references in scripture to the word showbread, and 20 is the biblical number for redemption. And remember what I said redemption means? In the Old Testament, it means oneness, or the Old Outlook books, and the New Outlook, uh, New Outlook books, it means riddance. So once we, riddance, R-I-D-D-A-N-C-E. So once we understand our oneness, then that rids us of everything that hinders us.
I've said that several times that we need to yes. constantly hear things. So divine intervention in our awareness and our awareness needs to align with Father's awareness that we are one eternally with Father and we always have been. So as I pointed out uh, in our last chapter, again, Hebrew means in the, the meaning for redemption is relationship, which is oneness, and then our next to kin, meaning oneness, and then riddance in the New Testament. So bread is important. That's what bread represents to us. Then wine. Wine symbolizes Zoe. What is Zoe? It's Father's life. It's the life that we have. It's the only life that there really is. Any life below that is a false life. It's carnal life. So to our awareness, wine is a state of thought that magnifies the true life idea of humankind. Thus, it increases our inner consciousness of the one source of all life. When I walk with Donna, I'm conscious of her all the time. If she falls behind me, I slow down because I want her to walk with me. I'm aware of her. Uh, I love her. I'm her husband. I, in a sense, I look out for her. So if I see a rock ahead of her, I say, Donna, look out for that rock. I'm constantly aware. So if I walk with Father, what am I doing? I'm aware of Father. I'm conscious of Father. And that's what man did in the beginning. It said Father came walking in the garden because God, Father was there. But Adam used to walk with Father. But he perceived himself as naked and less than. And so he fell behind, if you would. He moved to another plane. He was there. He never fell. That's why, you know, they, they taught in Paul's system of truth that man fell. Who is man? What did Adam do? He fell, blah, blah, blah. None of that's true. But he, he moved to another plane, which is another awareness. And Father kept saying, Adam, where are you? You're not in this awareness with me anymore. And Father constantly tried to clothe him and restore him to that awareness, but he refused. Mankind refused. And so, wine is a state of thought that magnifies the true life idea in humankind, and it increases our inner awareness of the one source of all life. So, Zoe is the vital, or the vitality, that forms the connecting link of the divine mind for our entire body. So, this, our life, when we agree, you know, how, how can we, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please Father, but it actually says, Without faith in Father's faith, it's, all, it's impossible to agree with Father. So if we will agree with Father that we are life, we are, we are, we are holy breath, then when we agree with Father, then that's, when that connecting, that's that connecting link that causes our whole body to respond to the life. So it represents an all-encompassing free essence that is generated from nerve substance, and it's called the water of life. We watch a lot of, uh, of uh, science fiction movies and stuff where people are looking for the water of life. And I've been watching one lately, and there was a they pool of water, and if they, if they dip you youth. down, it heals you, huh? Youth. Yeah, yeah the of water youth. of youth or whatever. Fountain but, of youth. Right. Not realizing that fountain's within inside of us. That's why they wrote that song, Spring Up, a Well Within My Soul. There's a well of life within inside of us, and it's in every cell of our being. So... We, but we need it to function in our inner consciousness to where the point that we believe it. It represents this, this substance, this water of life, this vitality of life, and it's, it must be available in enormous quantities. So what would we call an enormous quality of bread and wine, if you would? It would be the Feast of the Lord. 
There was a time that Father talked to the children of Israel about the feast of the Lord, but later on he said, these are not my feast, they're your feast. They took Father's feast and put mixture in them, right? They added their religious belief system to them. And he literally said, these are not my feast. So for this, the vitality of the vital body, there must be an enormous quantity, if you would, of the feast of the Lord or the marriage supper of the lambkin. It says the marriage supper of the lamb in the King James, which we make it think about Jesus, but it's the lambkin is us. The lambkin that died at the foundation of the world was mankind's awareness. That's what died is with their awareness. And so before there's a blending of all thoughts with truth, which would be a wedding, you've got to have this feast so it can successfully take place. And this feast is feeding on the living word, on the truth, the spiritual symbology of the living word, gravitating and moving to the right mind as Kay Fairchild's teaching. So when contact with a divine mind is secure, where the stronghold of old beliefs were, they begin to go away and they're made void. And that's what Jesus came for. It says, Jesus, uh, it says for, uh, I usually could say this all the time, for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifest that he might make void and melt away the power of death, and that was the law. They put devil there, but the word devil means traduce, and the law was traduced in them. And he did away with the power of the law, which was a mistaken identity. So the next verse that you can find, it says he destroyed the fruits of. So if you follow the law, what's the fruit? A mistaken identity, right? And dead works. So what we're doing is we're feeding on the marriage supper of the lambkin. It's what we're supposed to be feeding on. The lambkin, we're, 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 we're the sons and daughters of God. And knowing our oneness with Father will rid us of all unbelief and the, the biggest one is this liable to die mentality where we see ourselves as just mortal so that being said what's the symbolism of blemished priests do you really think does anyone think that father would disqualify somebody for a handicap and that's what we've got to think of when we hear people teach the word. And I know people have done that, but we've always been afraid to ask, uh, question the preachers because they're the ones that have the degrees and they're the ones that's the head of the church. You know, and people have used that against people a lot. But we study the old outlook and perception of priests because they give us a physical picture of real spiritual realities. And we can understand these things. So according to Moses' understanding, they could not be priests if they possessed any physical blemish. That was his understanding. That was not father. My pastor of my youth told me that he did not see me as a pastor or a teacher because he didn't like what I was teaching. He didn't like that what people enjoyed me teaching them. And he told me, you need just to go back to the furniture industry. That's what you're calling this. And you know what I said to him? You're not the one that called me, Father did. If I didn't know with all my heart that Father called me, I may not be where I'm at today because I loved that pastor and I wanted to be submissive to him, but I knew that wasn't true. And so he had a false perception of me. I was just Roy. I was just that little boy that grew up in his church and was friends with his son, but he never ever saw me as who Father made me to be. And that's okay. I'm the one that needed to see it. So according to Moses' understanding, they could not be priests if they experienced any, had any of these blemishes, blemishes. 
and those who had blemishes could not offer offerings to Father. They could still be priests, but they could not be priests that offered the bread and offered the wine. And they could eat it. it. Literally, when you look it up, they could eat the bread on the seventh day, but they could not offer it. And they could not go behind the veil. And what happened behind the veil? That's when, you know, they went into the, uh, to, to the uh, Ark of the Covenant and everything there. So, the symbolism of blemishes are not physical like theirs were. Blemishes today have all to do with one's awareness. If your awareness is off, you're not going to serve bread and wine, right? You're going to serve the dung of religion, if you would. You're going to serve the law. And so to be a priest or teacher who can help others, one needs to possess the understanding of the living word, not just the written word. I thought from 19... 88 to way past Brother Garner, I thought I was serving bread and wine. I remember uh, Ginger Lemons coming to me one day and saying, You've got our Judy, you've got to come to Enid, Oklahoma, and hear Gary Garner. And I said, Why? And they said, Because he teaches nothing but Jesus. Well, I thought that's what I did, you know, and I guess they were saying nothing but what Jesus taught. But when I went and met him, I realized I wasn't preaching exactly what Jesus taught. And there, when I met him, I thought I was offering bread and wine. And he thought he was offering bread and wine, but we were not. We were offering our version of what we thought bread and wine because it was covered with penal substitution doctrine. And that's what I'm doing is I'm removing the penal substitution doctrine off of Paul's truth so we can understand thoroughly. So... Moses wrote down an extensive list of blemishes. And I looked up the word blemishes and it means stained. Donna, you ever felt like you've been stained because of something you did when you were younger? We all did. We talked about it the other day. I, I can go back and I can think of things that I did. And, you know, all I do is talk about ice cream. Randy told me yesterday she was worried about me because I talk about ice cream a lot. <laughs> but that's all I preach against just because if you need something to be preached against, that's what I preach but you can eat way too much ice cream and you can be stained. You know, every religion has some kind of rule. If you do this or do this, you're stained. And so that's what the word blemish meant here in a sense. And so the following, I'm going to do some of them. I'm not going to do all of them, you know, and I'm aware that some people have a, a more awareness of these different blemishes. Kay may have taught some of them differently, but this is kind of what I saw that goes along with what I'm teaching. And, uh, of course, each blemish, we can discover the spiritual symbolism of each. And I'm going to share a few of them here. So the first one is blind. Blind. You can't be a, a priest if you're blind. Well, if I'm physically blind, I can still be a priest. There's been a lot of people that are blind that have taught really great truths. So you have to look at these things and say, this has to be about an awareness. So a person who has no perception of his or, his or her capacity and no confidence in their power to rise, rise superior to conditions of the material world, they're blind. In other words, they can't minister spiritual truths. That doesn't mean they're not a priest, but it means they, they're not able to go forth and hold out the true bread and wine. So blind also symbolizes a darkened understanding and consciousness. The majority of people in the world's religions are blind. 
and that's hard to say, but they're blind to the truth of the Word of God. So they're not standing up as priests of the divine mind. They're priests of what religion has taught them. They're, they're priests of man whose breath is in their, uh, their nostril, and they allow the false teaching to interpenetrate their awareness, and then they reproduce that in their followers. So when we allow illumination to come forth, then what happens? Darkness disappears. And there's a great light of awakening that takes place. And the one who was once blind can now see because they're seeing with their single eye. So the blind man was healed by Jesus. And to his religious interrogators, because they didn't like it, he, he said, I don't, I, I don't know, but I can tell you this, I was once blind and now I see. That's what he told them. So the word blind there, when I looked it up, it means smoky or mentally blind. And a further meaning is inflated with self-conceit, enveloped by smoke, to be slowly consumed without a flame. And I think about that. They offered offerings to Father, and the smoke went up, and they said that it was a savory offering for Father. They were blinded by that smoke of their offering. That's kind of how I see that. And they, they became blinded by self-conceit, to me, that means I'm so conceited, I think I can take care of myself. I think I can do something to make myself right. And so there, that slowly consumes you to the point that you cannot see. And you, if you cannot see the spiritual word, then you can't explain that and you can't help. you. So you can't function as the priest that you are. Then flat nose. I always thought that was a funny one. What is the nose for, Donna? It's perception, right? It represents perception. It's what you, how you sense things. And so the perception are discriminatory and, and, and the idea of one's awareness becomes dull in their expression, if you would. It's man whose breath is in his nostrils. It's man whose understanding is in his sense, sensory realm. And so that represents a flat nose, if you would. Spiritual discernment will quicken. Spiritual discernment will enlarge your capacities to understand, to to sense spiritual things and understand perfect and it understands it, it, it fully expresses what it senses spiritually. So the sense of smell, which is the nose, is an organ and it represents perception and discriminative tendencies while the size of the nose has nothing to do with intuitiveness, whether you have a flat nose or whatever it is, and that, but that's what they use. So we could use Isaiah's exhortation to not allow a person whose breath is in his nostrils to interpenetrate your awareness. That's a real easy one. Does that make sense? And then we find the word, uh, if you're superfluous, you couldn't be a priest. A what? Superfluous. S-U-P-E-R-F-L-U-O-U-S. Superfluous. Physically, the priest could have could not have a limb that was longer than it should have been or an extra part of that that wasn't needed. That's what that means physically. And this could be used in a false beliefs and understandings that are hindrances to our spiritual growth. So if we have some understanding that is not true, it's, it's superfluous, it's, it's extra, but it's not, it's not needed if you would. You know, like if I have a, uh, if I'm born and there's, there, there's this growth that comes out of the side of my arm, which we've seen that before, that's not needed. There's, there's no need for that whatsoever. And it's extra on me. And of course, uh, 
Moses would say you can't be a priest. But if you have some belief systems and you have some ideas about yourself and ideas about other people, and those are not needed, and so they hinder you from being a true priest with bread and wine. So again, it's false beliefs and it's understandings that are not true that hinders our spiritual growth, and we need to let go of them by embracing the living word. Hence, the truth will make you free. That's what Jesus said. The truth means, when he said the truth will make you free, the truth is the not concealed word. The not concealed word will make you free. Make you free of what? Of all that superfluous stuff that you have that's hanging on you and it drags you down and it pulls you back. So the synonyms for superfluous are needless, unneeded, and unnecessary. We have spent most of our lives sitting listening to needless, unneeded, and unnecessary information and due to be laws. So everyone has some of those beliefs and some of them are sacred cows that need to be slaughtered. I've had many people over the years that I've taught, particularly in what I've taught for many, many years, that the minute I hit their sacred cow, they stop listening to me. Rather than saying, I don't understand, will you explain it? They just stop listening. Because there are some sacred cows that we'll take to our grave with us. Those are superfluous items that need to be let go. That makes sense? And how do you slaughter them? With the living word of God. Then they could not be broken footed and broken handed. I didn't go into a lot of detail there, but we know these represent one's walk and one's work. If, you're, if your walk with father is broken, you have this wrong perception of father. Father's up there, you're down here. You have to get on your hands and knees. You have to bow your head. What All these things that we were taught to walk into the presence of God, it's broken. You don't understand that you walk as God in this earth and you are the very presence of God. That's what that would be to me. And then a broken hand would be your service, how you serve, what you do. The hand represents the fivefold ministry. Uh, in Isaiah, uh, Father said, I'm gonna reach out my hand one more time. And I, I add to it, this time the messenger must reflect the message, that's in Isaiah 11. So it's a hand ministry and there's a lot of hand ministries. There's a lot of people that have been called to minister but they're broken because they didn't stay in contact with Father. They went by what they thought they heard. Oh, I'm gonna go build me a great big church. I'm gonna build me a big ministry and so forth. And there's a lot of problems with that. So next one's a dwarf. And that'd be funny. Why couldn't a short person be a, <laughs> a messenger, you know, a priest? Well, a dwarf is the individual consciousness being dwarfed and cannot grow spiritually because of a group of thoughts and the individual awareness that are too small and yet they're cherished and that belief must be eradicated. And that belief is there is a limitation. Physically, when you're short, you feel like there's a limitation. I had a very good friend that was short and I could tell he he felt like he was limited. He didn't like it at all. I knew that. I understood that. I, and, and, but he wasn't limited whatsoever. But in his mind, he was because he was short. So what happens is when we have these false groups of thoughts that are conneral thoughts, they're too small of thoughts. And those too small, like I'm just, a, I'm saved, but I'm still a sinner. That could be one of them. And so that limits you. I'm not who Father says I am. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. And I say amen to all that kind of stuff. It dwarfs me 
And so if my understanding is I'm limited, what am I going to teach as a priest? You're limited. Because I'm not going to let you believe anything more than what I believe. And then scurvy and scab. Physically, scurvy comes from a lack of vitamin C. People that were on islands and places or, or away from home a long, long time and had no fruit or whatever, they would get scurvy. Scab's the same thing. But what it does, it, it symbolizes a turning against spiritual truths that are beyond a person's comprehension. There are a lot of people today that are beginning to tune in to people like me, like Kay, like other ministers who are ministering the living word, but they're not in that place where they can quite comprehend it yet. Instead of hanging around and saying, help me explain these things to me, they don't receive it and they suffer. And that's what scurvy is. So they have a lack of the living word flowing through them, if you would. Jesus was reviled. Jesus was smitten and despised by those who thought they were God's chosen people. Yet they comprehended no spiritual truth. And they killed the very one that was in contact with Father, their messenger that was sent to them. He was their Messiah, if you would. And I'll explain what Messiah means later on. But afterwards, they went after the apostles, including Paul, and they murdered them. They did horrible things to them. And so scurvy and scab represent those type of people that they, they hear, but they, can't comp they won't comprehend. They can, but they won't comprehend. They refuse to because they have these sacred cows that they won't let go. So those people are priests. Everybody's a priest of God. We're, we're created to minister to people, but they, are not, they can't minister to people in any way whatsoever that will bring real help to them. And this one here is very tough for me. Their stone's broken. <laughs> I, I looked it up and it was a horrible meaning, but it means a, a man that his penis and testicles were removed from his body. That's a horrible thing. The word stones means testicles, and broken means emasculated. And emasculated is a tough word. That's what it means to have your male organs severed from your body. And so, of course, this would affect a man's reproductive ability, right? There were a lot of eunuchs in the Bible that did great things. So that would not disqualify it as a physical problem. But this would affect a man's reproductive abilities. So the symbolism of the priest's testicles been cut off is a picture of, of a person whose individual awareness has been so darkened that the capacity to, re, to release life and light is eliminated. That's what that would be. Remember, we're looking at everything as an awareness. So I'll say it again. It's a picture of a person whose individual awareness has been so darkened that the capacity to release light and life is eliminated. They have been made consciously void of vital strength and power by feeding on that which is carnal rather than spiritual. Does that make sense, Donna? So the symbolism of the condition of lameness then is a person who has not affirmed their source of all strength through contact with Father. You sever... Like, like if, if somehow or another I physically sever my spine from my, this area of my body up, then I would be lame. I would not be able to walk. So religious teaching, carnal teachings, literally sever us to, from our ability to walk. Remember what I said about walk? Walking with God 
is contact with father. And so if I sever my spine down here, my legs lose contact with a physical source, which is my brain. And the brain tells me to walk, but it doesn't respond. In fact, there's phantom pain. The brain sometimes, you think you're feeling when people lose their leg, the brain still thinks it's there, but it's not there because it's been severed. So what happens is they've been consciously, uh, consciously void of this vital strength by feeding on the written word, if you would, and not the living word. So the symbolism of this condition is a person who has not affirmed this source. You, they have to know that they have a source. They have to know that their strength comes from within. Uh, Job said that, my, my strength comes within me. And all through scripture, it talks about going within. So they lack spiritual understanding is what it is. Living life in contact with Father, it brings newness of activity. You know, if you feel like you can't function and your life is just going downhill, you need to renew that contact with Father. You need to be aware that you have the contact of Father. Get off by yourself. Be quiet and talk with Father and listen to Father. And Father speaks to you. And Father always speaks to you. But that activity then will strengthen the whole man. It's like, again, yesterday, uh, there was some activity going on here with Paul and, and uh, Randy and me and Donna. We were fellowshipping. We were talking. I was strengthened. I was energized. I just immediately thought these people are going to be best friends to us. And they felt the same way. And we're going to connect. We're going to go see them. And that, that activity of, of, of spirit speaking to spirit and the divine mind speaking to the divine mind brings wholeness to, the, to where we walk in the cool of the day again, in the Ruach. And when, when a person does not handle that and possess the divine mind, they, they in a sense have lost contact and in a sense they, they're not able to walk and they walk around as lame. I was trying to think something, but I lost it. I was going to say there. So these people's ignorance of the living word impedes the members of their body and they're not able to serve as the priests that they're mandated. Father does not disqualify them, but their awareness disqualifies them. They're not holding out real bread and wine. So we can see this in the man who was lame from his mother's womb. Remember that story where Paul was ministering? There was a man that was lame from his mother's womb and uh, they, he, they laid him at the door of the temple called Beautiful. It wasn't Paul, Jesus came to him, but he laid him at the door called Beautiful, asking for alms. And several instances, if you think about this, the title Mother is symbolical of the religious systems of the earth, or it would be called the church. So this lameness was produced by carnal teachings. And even though he was laying at the door of the temple, where he was supposed to be taught truth, he was only interested in asking for temporal things. And how many of us have been there? We were brought lame, supposedly, naked, supposedly, sinner, supposedly, and we were brought to the door of the temple and we were taught wrong things. And we were taught to beg and to plead for things and it made us lame all the days of our life. And that's all temporal. So we sometimes find within ourselves states of consciousness that we inherited from our parents. We, and we inherited from the churches we went to, from this human side of parentage, again called the church. So, for example, the belief in inefficiency, 
the belief in inadequacy and the belief in hopelessness came from that. That's where that all came from. This belief symbolizes the man who is impotent in his feet, a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. And the inefficiency is described as in the feet, and the feet is typical of understanding. Your feet is always typical of understanding. What are you walking in? What understanding are you walking in? And so there are many people old whose name means uh, whose name means lame. Quite a few of them. I didn't go through all of them, but there's quite a few of them. And here's a few of them. One of them is Nico. He was a king of Egypt. He was actually a pharaoh. And he, he was in the days of Josiah when Josiah was killed in battle by the kings. Nico symbolizes a ruling thought of darkness. A ruling thought of darkness. And lacking in spiritual understanding. So his understanding was only in touch with outer conditions, which is the carnal, where many of us have been. I'm going to be closing pretty soon. But next, there's a son, uh, Japhlet, J-A-P-H-L-E-T. He was the descendant of Asher, and his name is P-A-S-A-C-H, meaning cut up, cutting off, dividing, halting, limping, and lame. So Pascal symbolizes a human-minded intellect which produces a flaw in one's understanding that comes from contact with the outer conditions of life. So his understanding, where most of us have been ourselves, we were always in contact with the outer conditions, and so that flaw, again, would be a blemish. So we could say these people never fed on the spiritual feast that satisfies the soul. A scripture says, I think it's in the Message Bible or Amplified, it says, blessed and happy are the people who know the joyful sound of the feast. They walk, there again is the word walk, they walk, O Lord, in the light and favor of your countenance. So these people are not lame. They walk in the light and they manifest their glory as the image of Father. So we see lameness symbolically means one who is not spiritually aware of the living word. And what it's done is blurred our vision, and it was a ver a, a blurred by false teachings of Father, false teachings of the Word, and we only had a sensory understanding. So we'll look at one more here. So what happens when we're not feeding on the living Word? Our soul is starving. Our soul is starving, and starvation will cause you to seek food wherever you can go. And we go to all the wrong places and we continue to starve and we continue to starve. It's like the example I use, if I lay a bowl of potato chips down, most people would keep eating it and keep eating it. And what the brain is saying, they, it thinks you've been fed. So it says, give me more, give me more, give me more because you're not satisfying what the brain needs. If you put a bowl of broccoli down, You'll eat three or four pieces and you're done because your brain is satisfied. That's why people keep going back to the dung of religion. They think they've been fed, but they're not. And they keep wanting more, and it's their very spirit inside of them crying out for more, but they're at the wrong table. They're not at the real table of showbread. So when you feel a nervous tension in you, and you may know that your soul is starving, and if you don't feed it the living word, then you, you become lame, you become blind, 
and, and poor-minded will become your portion, and that's not what Father wants for us. So there must be this constant contact. There's one more name I want to share that I'm going to close, and that's Claudius. Claudius is well known in Acts 18.2. He was the Roman emperor who forced the Jews to leave Rome. Prior to this event, there was an inspired speaker by the name of Agabus, uh, who was inspired by Father to declare there would be a great dearth, which is a famine, a great dearth throughout the entire world, which was their world, and that was going to happen in the days of Claudius Caesar. Claudius means broken, lame, and lamentable. So as we've seen, lameness usually refers to the legs and the feet. The feet represent the phase of man's understanding and that comes in touch with the world affairs, if you would. So Claudius, broken and lame, points to a serious and deplorable defect in the practical understanding, which is in complete lack of understanding. And it's caused by a complete dependency on that which is without. And the world is seeing that in people today. Even in churches, they're depending on that which is out. They're depending on the government. They're depending on the medical. They're depending on the financial, the social, and uh, I forget the other realm. But there's, we have been conditioned to depend on what the world can do for us rather than what Father has done for us. And it has produced a really complete lack of understanding in many people. And we let the world's light guide us rather than the living light guide us. So the next step to us is the refusal to, to these people is the refusal of uh, refusal of spiritual understanding, and they put all that away, and they won't allow that which is spiritual to be in dominion over their lives. They allow this continued fear to come and come and come, and we've seen a great example of that with what's going on in the world with this this virus and other situations and the political system. People are bending down to that fear and they're losing all contact with spiritual truth. So what happens here is Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome and that's that picture of getting rid of all spiritual truth. So consequently, there becomes a dearth, a famine in the land, a famine that reaches from Rome all the way down to Judea, which means from the intellect to the consciousness. And that's while we're trying to help people to rise up out of that famine and put our faith in Father's faith. Because our Father sees us whole, our Father sees us perfect, Father sees us today as Father saw us from, from eternity. And that's what we want to do is to get to these places where all these blemishes are not realities in our awareness. And the Word of God is correcting that awareness and it's bringing us upright where we can walk upright we can stand tall, we can walk perfectly, and we have no, uh, no excess belief systems that are hindering us, and we're being made free from that. So I know there was a lot of detail there, but I believe that it helped you in understanding these things. I've always uh, not liked teaching these blemishes too much, but when you realize their awarenesses, it brings great help to us. So we appreciate you being here. Hi, Glenda, glad you've been with us. And we hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you did, please share it on your Facebook page so it can reach the world. Make sure and tune into the K. I believe she's teaching today. And we will see you next week. Bless you.